0: How are you doing this morning? I'm excited about the snow, I know many of you aren't. Come February I probably won't be saying the same thing, but right at this moment it's a novelty and I love it, uh, there you go, welcome home, welcome home, both of those that are in the room with us right now and for you guys online as well. It's good to have you here. And do you know what? I, I was driving along Preston Avenue a couple of days ago and I noticed our new sign. Anyone else see it out there? You belong here. I, I love that phrase. and We've used it for many, many years. And I hope... I hope we don't just take it for granted or ignore it or drive by it, but actually think about what that means. Actually think about what it means to you, but what it means, I guess, for all of us. A bit of what I want to talk about today is actually within that phrase, you belong here. And so whether you're in the room as a seasoned follower of Christ, maybe you're here for the first time and thinking what on earth is going on here you belong here you belong here or maybe you're online and you've joined us for whatever reason you're online you belong here you belong here with us whether that's online or in the room it's okay I would love for you guys online to eventually join us in the room because I think there's something about being in each other's presence that just goes beyond. And I had this word on my mind over a period of time. And particularly, I want us to think about it for the Thursday night if you're coming along to our worship night. I'm so excited about that night. And I would love for you to join us just We're just going to worship together. But the word is linger. Linger. And it's not something that we often do at the moment, especially in times of COVID. We're in and out, and we want to get away quickly. But we need to create time, margin to linger. Not to rush away, but to linger. And if you can indulge me just for a moment... I am British. I don't know if you knew that or not, but I am. Someone asked me earlier, will I be supporting Canada or England in the World Cup? Well, I will be supporting Canada till we get knocked out. (laughs) And then I will support England after that. (coughs) But today... In the UK is a significant day, and I'm particularly, I think about today as a significant day because I have friends that have been and are in our armed forces, and I know here we celebrated on Thursday, and I guess, well, not celebrate its the wrong word, commemorate it, but if you will indulge me just for this week, this year, I want to bring a bit of British tradition here and in a moment we're going to stand and pray. But you see, Remembrance Sunday or Remembrance Day is a day that's associated with sacrifice. It's a day that's associated with freedom. And freedom never comes without sacrifice. Even when we think of our own Christian tradition. Jesus sacrificed himself for our freedom. And Down through the years, many people have sacrificed their lives, their mobility, their money, their time, their resources for our freedom. And so I'd love for you just to stand with me as we pray and we remember the fallen, the families, and the broken from the offense of war. You see, we don't celebrate war. Anyone that's been in war will never celebrate it. But we commemorate the sacrifice of the fallen. Father God, I thank you over many years that people have given their lives, given over and above for our freedom to be able to stand here and remember, stand and worship, stand and live even in covid times with the freedom that we have and we remember them but we don't only remember their sacrifice we remember the families the trauma the troubles we remember those that have come back that have been broken during war we thank you for them god we remember the sacrifice that they made I pray that we would never take freedom for granted. Father, as we enter into your word, I pray that our minds and hearts will be open to what you want to say to us as well. I pray that those that don't know you or those that have gone away from you, whether we're in the room or connecting via technology, God, I pray that their hearts will be open and maybe be drawn to make a decision to follow you. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. Why don't you grab your seats? It's 3 a.m. or roundabout on the 6th of July 2012, and I woke up and there was a rattling. On the window, and I looked out the window, and Dee woke up as well. And there's Dee's best friend outside, and she's she's throwing stones at the window to try and get our attention. So we obviously knew something pretty serious was going on. So we rushed downstairs and opened the door, and Allison came in. And she told us about Nathan one of our young guys from church in Newcastle, and he'd been involved in a car accident, and she didn't have all the details at that moment, but he'd been involved in a car accident on the way home from a wedding that we'd all attended on that day before. It transpired that he was killed instantly, and after everything was going on, and I was the one that had to go, and tell his fiance, Nathan's fiance, they were due to be married in in December, I think it was, and had to go and knock on their door at six a.m. or so, and tell this broken girl that her fiance had died. And then I went with the parents to identify Nathan's body in uh, down in the depths of the hospital and. Had the privilege of praying with them, praying with them for Nathan to be raised to life and felt so small, so insignificant at that moment. Later on that day, as I did countless trips to and fro from the parents, from Nathan's parents' house, there was a talk show on the radio and Just happened to be listening. Someone was complaining, as we all do, about something that in my in my world, in what I was doing, seemed so trivial at the time. I did something that I'd never done before, and I've vowed never to do since or ever again. I rang in this talk show. The radio host listened with compassion and stunned silence, actually, which was amazing for this guy because he never stops talking. And he then simply, after I'd unfolded what I was doing and where I was going and what was happening in the, in the previous seven or eight hours, he just said, how do you cope? How did they cope in such circumstances? And I thought for a second, and I replied that we, I... They coped by a relationship with God who transcends death, but also our relationship within community who rise up together when things like this happen. And I've seen our community here in Circle come together over the past year, meet financial needs, step into into brokenness, Support those that are dealing with grief and minister where ministry is needed. And I'm not talking about a pastoral care team or a staff member or someone, the specialists, so to speak. I'm talking about you. I'm not even talking about counselors or therapists or those professionals that do such an incredible job, I'm talking about you and the person sat next to you. Stepping in where there's brokenness, where there's need. And our theme over these few weeks is steady. Last week, we looked at steadying our heart as an individual. And this week, I want to look at the theme, steady the ship, hence the foghorn earlier. See, C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, paints this picture, and it's really a picture of morality, but morality is is not just right and wrong. It's actually how we live together, and he paints this picture of a ship, and the ship having integrity within itself, internal harmony. We looked at steadying our heart with the Word of God and with worship last week. and I hope you took down notes of the verses because you will need them. You will need them. See, suffering and grief is not not something that might happen. It is something that will happen. It is how we deal with it. But today I want to look at steadying the ship. Basically, not colliding with each other, steadying our ship, steadying who we do life with, harmony between people, living in community, steadying our relationship with each other, which is probably more needed now than ever before. Next week, we're going to look at steadying our course, where we're going, how do we get there, what is our destination. So what is steadying the ship? Does it mean that we, we just go along in calm waters, that everything's fine, that everything's perfect, and as it should be as when you're a Christian, shouldn't it? It would be nice, but that's not the reality of life. You see, although a ship is steady and safe in a harbor, it's designed and purposed for open waters. And so our ship, our community, It's created for turbulent waters. It's created to go out in open sea into the world around us. I remember many years ago when I used to do a lot of water skiing, and my water skiing experience was calm water. That's what I like. And my friend was a ski racer, and we went out in his boat, and we're actually in Sydney, and we went along the river, and we went out of, out of the river to what they call the heads, Sydney Harbour Heads, and you, you reach the end of the river, and then you're in the sea, and believe me, there is a huge difference between water skiing on a river and water skiing in open sea. And I was in the boat, and he was training for a big ski race, and I was the guy purposed to watch him. I was like, "Why would you do that?" Because then I realized that as the boat went down, the ski line went through the wave, and he completely disappeared. And then a a few seconds later, he'd appear up here and we'd be down here. What on earth is going on? I just had to make sure that he didn't drop off, fall off, or get eaten by sharks as he skied. It's a real thing. See what I didn't realize, and I was I was pretty scared when we first out there, when we were first out there, but what I didn't realize was that his boat wasn't just an ordinary ski boat that I was so used to being in. His boat was designed for open water skiing. It was designed to hit the waves hard and not break up. It felt like everything in the boat, including my internal organs, were breaking up every time we hit a wave. And the ship was steady even though I was not. See, our community was designed not to live in the safety of the harbor but to go to sea on mission. A community that can be at peace and steady, yet still navigate the turbulent times we live in and outwork its mission and purpose, which is what we'll look at next week. So the Bible calls this shalom. And that word shalom, you may have heard it, shalom, shabbat or sabat. It's not just about having peace around us. Peace is not the absence of war. See, this word in Hebrew is so rich, and it goes beyond an internal peace. It actually encompasses prospering in community. It implies a completeness. We see this word talked about or used in One of the most well-known promises that we hold on to as an individual in the Bible. But it's not a verse that's an individual verse. It's a community verse. See, this verse is Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And if you've never heard it before, let me read it to you. For I know the plans I have for you. See, that you there is not a singular you. Yes, we can take it and we can We can take it to ourselves, but that you is community. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to shalom you, prosper you, and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And that word prosper there, it's not just about having money. In fact, it's not really about having money at all. It's prospering within life. And that that word that God uses... That Jeremiah says to his people was not when everything was going well. It was actually used in turbulent times. And the people were exiles. They were taken away from their home by a violent and militant nation. And many of them were enslaved. And so they were in this place as refugees, slaves at times. And God's saying, yeah, but I know the plans I have for you. So there was a community of refugees, wounded, people with no roots in a pagan and alien land. And God is saying, have peace, be steady, be complete in the middle of your troubles. It's not about nothing going wrong around us. It's about who we are as a community. The New Testament has a, another word which is similar but, but different in some ways. And that word is koinonia. It's used in Acts 2 42, and, and we, we know it as the word fellowship. And it's difficult to think of a word that is better, it's not just visiting. It's not hanging out. It's not just doing life together, but there's something so full about that word fellowship. See, the first church in Acts 2.42 devoted themselves. They took personal responsibility and they devoted themselves. They placed themselves in koinonia, in fellowship. And it means intimate participation. And so they formed a community which wasn't just about a group of people with similar interests. It's not a, it's not a chess koinonia or a hockey coinonia or a knitting koinonia. It was a fellowship of people. They weren't even just in the same room together. It says that they were of one heart and one mind. And so there's a relationship with each other and the Holy Spirit there's some verses here I'm not going to don't put them up on the on the on the back I want you to take these down and go away and read what they are Acts 242 that's where it says fellowship but then it it also means communicating with each other Philemon 1 verse 6 and it's talking about sharing it means when we take communion together which I think we're going to do in a couple of weeks time again here in this in this moment but probably all going to do on Thursday night as well. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. But it also means financial contribution. There's not this just joining of hearts. There's actually a financial contribution. People saying, what I have, I'm called to steward and use to to help meet need. Romans 15, verse 26. And then in Acts 4. Verse 33 and 34, it says this, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales. You see, community, the fellowship, the koinonia, the shalom was working so well that people said, what I have is a resource for the community. It wasn't that they lived in, you know, this nice little happy hippie commune with nothing outside touched. It was when people were in trouble, they met the need. And I've seen this over the last year here, so evident. People giving of themselves, giving of their resources, pooling our resources together to meet need within our community. Jesus said, love God, And love people are the two greatest commandments. Do you know what? But then he went on to explain that the people we are called to love are not just the ones that we are most like, but often the ones that we are least like. The ones that we disagree with. The ones that are not like us, not like our culture. And I know, you know, as soon as I hear an English accent, I'm, I gravitate towards it because it's something we connect around. And that's fine, but I don't do that exclusively. I want to connect with people outside of my, who I am. And, 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 and Jesus said, love those that are least like you as well. That's what real community is. Real community isn't just finding a group of people that are most like us. It's having a group of people that are so diverse, yet we put aside some of that diversity and center on who Jesus is. And outwork who we are within that community. A scared world needs a steady church. Can I say that again? A scared world needs a steady church. Steady our hearts, but we also need to steady our ship. A steady church comes from us having steady hearts. And then we read in Philippians 2, 1 and 3 that we place others' needs Above our own. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambash, ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You see, you don't read that on social media. You go through social media, and it's, it's ignore others. It's all about you. And now we need to be healthy. We need to have a steady heart. We need to be right and steady ourselves. But how often do we put others' needs above our own? The interests of others, the interests or the primary interests of the world around us, although most of them are unaware of it, is to be in relationship with our Creator. There is something within us that calls out to our origin. We need to be reconciled to God, but also reconciled to each other. Love God, love people. What a challenge. You see, the Pharisees, and we, when we read about the Pharisees, They've got a pretty bad reputation, haven't they? It's okay, you can nod or agree with me. The the Pharisees have got a pretty bad reputation. You see, they loved God. They loved God so much that they wanted to get everything right. But they forgot about the second, which is love people. They were so intent on getting everything right so that they could have this this relationship, they forgot about this relationship. We are called to be reconciled, brought back to God, but also brought back to each other. God is building us into a community that is healthy and robust. So we look like a body, but also... There's a picture of a building that's used as well. Let me, let me read from Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. And we have people in this room like myself that are from all over the world. Met some great friends from Togo. Friends from Nigeria. Friends from Ghana, friends from Costa Rica, even friends, and I know this is tough, from the U.S. I know that that's a hard one, isn't it? That's that's tough, but we'll let them in. No longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. With as much right to the name Christian as anyone, God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here in what he's building. He's used the apostles and prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple In which God is quite at home. You could almost change that word there, temple, to ship. A a ship in which God is quite at home. I want want to remind us of some pictures that I used earlier on in the year to, to show what this temple, what this thing is like. The first one is what we think It should be like this brick wall you'll see behind me. We think of that as this is what we should be as the church. Nicely even spaced, all the same. Everyone doing exactly the same thing, fit nicely together. But that's not the real picture. This this is actually what God is building us into. See how every stone is a different shape. Every stone is completely different from the one next to it, but it finds its space. It finds its fit. And the strength of a stone wall, I know this has got mortar in it, but actually there are stone walls all over the world and we see them particularly in the UK, that are as strong, if not stronger, than those with mortar that have no mortar. The dry stone waller is such an expert at building that he fits them in together. Now, the tough thing is is that often he'll have to knock a few edges off to fit them in. That's the tough bit for us as followers of Christ. The master builder takes our uneven shapes and builds us into a house for himself. But The thing is, we do lose our individuality as we bond together. We lose our independence, but we gain interdependence. We become dependent on each other for the strength of the building. Some of you may remember an old, slightly weird film called 300, Leonidas. One of the things he says that I I remember is that his strength is the strength of the man next to him. Our strength is not just our own. It's the strength of us together as community. We're not nicely shaped bricks, but odd-shaped stones that God is shaping into a building for himself. And often in community, God will use the ones that annoy us the most to help us become more like Jesus. Our strength comes from our connectedness to each other. God uses us as individuals as odd-shaped stones to connect together and build strength to the ship, to the building. And often it's our misshapenness, not our uniformity, that helps us fit together. It's also what gives us strength. We want a church that is steady, a ship that is steady, built on relationships. We're of a size now when we're not going to know everyone. And as we grow and more people add themselves, we will not know everyone. But we do want to be a church where everyone is known. Everyone is connected. Where we have tactile and authentic relationships. Where we have places, environments, where we can do life together and process life together place where we do the hard work of getting along. James 3, verse 18 says this, you can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoys its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. See, the problem is, is that too many of us drop out when we realize it's hard work. Relationships are hard work. Faithful presence is hard work. But we will build a healthy, robust community, church, if we are committed and prepared to do the hard work of getting on with each other. This this year, our focus is as one, in unity. Not uniformity, but in unity with each other. Paul talks about the Apostle Paul, talks about putting aside our cultural barriers that we've built. You know, he says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female. And he goes on and slave nor free. And he's not saying that there are none of those in church. He's not saying that those, those I guess, things that help define us Are not important. He's not saying that at all. He's saying the barriers that we've created around those differences are not there and should not be there. Gender, nationality, economic status. They're all important to us, but they should never be barriers to us building a healthy, robust community that lives right with God. We do the hard work. As we do the hard work of building right relationships with God and right relationships with each other, we build wisdom within a healthy, robust community. See, there is a a payoff for the hard work, for doing life with each other, for forgiving each other, for bearing with each other, for bearing each other's burdens. We have a healthy, robust community that lives right with God. You still with me, church? Online, are you still with me? I hope you are. You know, as church, it feels like that we're just getting our heads around dealing with one set of issues And potentially diversive issues that come in from the world around us, and six more pop up. The problem is is that it's not that we don't deal with the issues, it's that we allow these issues to bring division within the church, bring division within the ship. There's an incredible old film. and Actually, there's been a few remakes of this film that tells the tale of Captain Blythe and First mate, Fletcher Christian. It's actually based on a true story, mutiny on the bounty. And it becomes division within within the ship because of equality that's happening and discrimination and all sorts of pretty bad stuff. And the ship eventually breaks up and people go their own ways and all sorts of of stuff happens because there wasn't community. There wasn't a steadiness on the ship. It can seem like down through history, the church has done nothing right and everything we touch seems to go wrong. Can I say with the greatest respect, both to us in the room and to you guys online, don't believe the narrative. Let me say that again. Don't believe the narrative. Now, what I'm not saying is that we haven't gotten things wrong. We have, disastrously at times. And we in our country here have seen that. And it's become more and more prevalent and in our faces about some of our disastrous history. We've treated people badly. We've not dealt with power imbalances and discrimination. We've allowed ourselves to be used by greedy, corrupt people and institutions for their own ends. But but, every single day since the church was born, Lives are being changed. Broken people are being made whole by the love of Jesus and the transformative community that he left. People are being embraced from all cultures into church, into community, into the ship. Needs are being met. People are being educated. Children are being protected. Women are being empowered. People from ethnic minority groups are welcomed and valued. The church is still the largest organization in the world that, right from its birth, has cared for the poor, alleviated poverty, and fought to change legislation that discriminates against groups of people. Do not believe the narrative. Steady the ship. God still loves his beautiful bride. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome her. He said that he loves her and gave himself up for her. And we are commanded to love each other like he loves us. Now that's the hard work. We were created to be in community. Genesis 1, God saw that it was good, is said Seven times. But then we get through. We get to Genesis 2. And God says it is not good. The first time that God says it is not good. Is when he created man alone. See he created man in his own image. And God is in community within himself. So God created relationship for us. And we are created To be in relationship with each other. Our strength comes from right relationship with each other. And I want to say this again. Church is the best place to have your worst day. Living in community is not easy. And that's why most of the New Testament, when we read it, it's not just about theology and doctrine. It is about how do I live with the person next to me who is not as loving and caring and blessed as I am. Connecting community that builds relationships for good. We want to be a church that connects people to Jesus, to each other, to growth and to purpose. A place to be known and to know. It's time to steady our hearts and steady the ship. We are in this together. And unlike Mr. Incredible, we do not work alone, buddy. Imagine a church so steady it cannot be disrupted by the upheaval of the world around us. A church that, that actually welcomes the unsteady hearts with kindness and compassion and provides a place for their hearts, for our hearts to find rest. A place where even in the time of COVID, we take time to linger with each other and with God. A place where we linger in worship, not rushing through a set program. A place that, when seen from the outside, is so steady, safe, and welcoming that people begin to stream to it from an unsteady world. A place of shalom and koinonia, prospering and fellowship. A place where the broken are not only made whole, But like it says in Isaiah 61, they then began to build, to rebuild the broken walls of others. See, many of you came in broken people, but you are now rebuilding others' broken walls. Churches, it is time to steady our ship. Can we pray together? Father God, I thank you for this community. I thank you for those that are here. thank you for those that are online. I pray, God, that we will love like you loved us. I pray, God, that we will continually, faithfully, Do the hard work of getting along with each other, even when it doesn't suit us. Even when it's not our preference. Even when it seems like we get in nowhere, but God, we bear with each other. We forgive each other. We bear each other's burdens. God, we become a healthy, robust community where you make your home. Pray right now for those that feel on the edge of that community. For those who, like me for many years, felt like a misfit. Felt like I didn't belong. Felt like I just I didn't fit anywhere in this, what I thought was uniformity. But God, you helped me find my fit. pray for those in that situation God God as we steady our ship as we open our arms with love and compassion God that they will find their fit pray for those that are on the outside that have believed the narrative of your church, about your church. God, I pray that as we circle, show your love, show your care, show show your faithfulness, show your mercy, show your grace alongside of many other churches in our awesome city. God, I pray that the narrative will be changed. The people will see past the headlines, the gaudy headlines, and will see you reflected through and in us. God, I pray that as we worship through song, through music, through giving, through your word, through serving together, God, I pray that we will become more and more like you. That as we've talked about before, that we will be refined by the fire and become less of what sin and the world has made us and more of what you have designed and created us to be. I'd love every head to be bowed, every eye to be closed, just for a moment. I want to speak specifically to those of you that have never made a decision to follow Jesus, both in the room and online as well. Or you've, you've gone away. You've walked away, whether it's deliberately or whether it's stuff that's been done to you that's caused you to walk away from church, to walk away from Jesus. And he's calling you home right at this moment. Maybe you're a young person that's grown up in this church or another church. And you've never made that faith decision. You've always relied on your your family faith decision. Right now, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. Yes to his love. Yes to his grace. Yes to his faithfulness. Yes to his mercy. So with every head bowed, apart from one or two team that are around, who are just there to help me notice hands going up, I want to ask you, can I pray with you? And I love to know who I'm praying with. So I'm going to ask you to put your hand in the air, or if you're online, then just hit the raise hand button. If you're saying yes to Jesus right now, let me pray with you. Put your hand high up in the air so that we can see. Invite you into community. Invite you into a place. Thank you. Invite you into a place of Jesus' love. Who else is ready to say, yeah, that's me. That's what I want. Put your hand right up in the air so I can see it. Thank you. Back, thank you here. See the hands over there. If you're a follower of Christ, stay engaged. This is where you should be praying for the people in the room and the people online as well. Not a time to engage, to think about other stuff. This is for you as well. Okay, well, all we're going to do is simply pray. I'm going to say some words. And those of you that put your hand up, maybe you're in a position where you think, I couldn't put my hand up, but I do want to say this prayer. I'm going to say the words, and then at the end of that prayer, we as a church are going to celebrate that decision that you've made. Dear God, I come to you now, and I give you my life. I thank you for the life that you gave, and I take hold of the life that you give. I ask for forgiveness of my sin, and I thank you that I am now forgiven. Thank you for the community across time and across location that I am now part of. And from this moment forward, I am now a follower of Jesus. Amen. Amen.